Hara has never known her birth family and never felt connected to her Korean heritage. Then after the death of her adopted father, she takes a leap of faith and boards a plane to South Korea. Once there, she embarks on a journey of loss, discovery, and maybe even love. I'm Heather Songster, and this is Hopelessly Romantic. Welcome back, readers and romance seekers, to another episode. Today's novel is Heart and Soul by Jen Frederick, and it hits a slightly different flavor than our usual fare. You might notice my pronunciation of the title, particularly of the word soul. The title is a bit of a pun, replacing the word for the supposed human spirit with the name of South Korea's capital, Seoul. And this word is the entire reason I picked up this novel. Americans will pronounce the city as Seoul, but Seoul is closer to how it actually sounds, so that's why you're going to hear my unusual inflection. And for newer listeners, you will occasionally hear me refer to my technical advisor during the show, but the in-joke is that he is my husband. More importantly to my point, he is also Korean. So when I saw the title of this book, it came home with me, no questions asked. The blurb in the back tells us the story features around a Korean adoptee, and in a rare moment, I decided to read up on the author before I sat down to read. Jen Frederick is herself a Korean adoptee living in the Midwest, and I can't find much else about her other than that. She has a few romance series under her belt, however, and also wrote under the pen name Aaron Watt. Normally, I wouldn't really care about figuring out the author's background until after I'm done with the book, but my personal feeling is that the subject of a Korean adoptee's experience is a deeply personal one, and I might have felt uncomfortable reading the story had it been written by a white American who was simply enamored with K-pop. I realize that this is probably going to smell gatekeepish at best, but it's the kind of thing that I feel should be really represented by the people it is representing. Before I go any further, because of the way this novel turns out, I'm highly going to recommend that you read it first if you want zero spoilers, and definitely read it especially if you're a fan of Korean culture and K-pop. And I'm going to do my absolute best not to run off into tangents as we read this novel, because one, I have been to Seoul, it is absolutely beautiful, and you should go as well. And two, while I read, I may or may not have felt excited when the novel hit on aspects of Korea and Korean media that I was familiar with. I'm going to try to hold off until I can really unleash with Behind the Page next week. So with all that context established, let's get started. Gapshida. That's Korean for let's go. Taking a look at this cover, my first impression is that it's rather enchanting. It's done in the style of papercraft, with silhouettes suggesting what it is that we're looking at. The title of the novel looks as though it's been painted with a brush, and the O in Seoul has been stylized to represent the Korean flag, and is represented with an ampersand, and its tail turns into a red line that travels down and entwines itself around cutout representations of our featured couple. The rest of the cover is an impression of the Seoul skyline, instantly recognizable to anyone familiar with the city. It has several landmarks, including Seoul Tower, the Han River, and Lotte World Tower. Closer to the foreground, we see more traditional Korean buildings, but they look generic enough to me that they could represent any of the traditional buildings or even the palaces that are in the city. But we aren't here for the cover, so let's get into these pages. First off, we've already hit an unusual note with the point of view. The story is narrated in the first person, and while we have seen it before, it's not really typical for the romances that we read on this show. But what makes this novel stand out from the others is that we only see one side of the perspective. 
Typically, we see both perspectives of our romances, from both or more partners. Here, the only viewpoint we see is Hara, and that has a lot to do with how this book is read, I feel. To elaborate on this, Hara is our main character, our guide, and most importantly, alone. I don't mean that everyone in her life has abandoned her. Rather, she has felt so isolated in her entire life, even with her own adopted parents, that she feels more like an island than a part of a community. She jokes that she brought up the entire Asian demographic up by an entire percentage point in her town when she was adopted. Her adopted parents, more her mother than her father, tried to give her cultural touchstones with Korean events where they could find them. However, for a young girl who looks absolutely like no one else in her community, the last thing she wants to do is further other herself when she is already an outsider. Hara doesn't just feel lonely either. She has feelings of inadequacy, spurned on by her adoptive father, who first bullies her every time she cries. Then he runs off when his affair partner falls pregnant, something Hara's adoptive mother could not do for him. And finally, he has the good manners to up and die, leaving Hara to endure gossip about what will happen to his real child after his death. This isolation, this loneliness, it's important for the tone and overall theme of the story. Without this backdrop, we can't fully appreciate Hara's journey to discover herself. Romance is so far down the list of priorities for Hara when we begin this story that one may mistake this as simply contemporary fiction rather than contemporary romance. The novel opens with an introduction to our protagonist as she describes growing up. And I want to smack her father right out of the grave, like, as I mentioned, he harasses Hara for crying. He jokes that she should have her tear ducts removed, and that it was stupid to cry when her classmates make fun of her for her looks. Really, I am not sad that our only interaction with this asshole is through flashbacks triggered by his funeral. On the other side, we have Hara's mother, Ellen. She's likable for the most part, defending her daughter when people bring up her adoption, and raising her alone when she divorces her gas bag of a husband. After Hara hears people at her dad's funeral talking about how sad it was that he died, and right after he had finally had a real child, something digs into her and doesn't let go. Seriously, with the exception of Ellen and a friend of Hara's, I pretty much want to slap almost everyone we meet. We see said friend, a woman named Bo Young Kim, a co-worker from Korea on a work-study program when she comes to offer her condolences. This scene is peppered with a number of microaggressions from other co-workers. A guy asks if they're both Chinese or sisters, and that's got me cringing quite a bit. I'm going to guess that a lot of Hara's experiences are direct references to the author's life. While I sit in my comfortable white privilege, I do occasionally get the background radiation of how the world responds to my technical advisor. We do keep a very small social circle, so it's pretty minimum. I like Bo Young's presence in the novel. She's a comfortable friend for Hara, helping her feel not so out of place as the sole Asian in a room. She introduces Hara to some of our favorite products of the How You Wave. Dramas, food, music, all of the stuff that Korea loves to export to our side of the world. But Hara does get a wave of guilt surrounding how far she pushed away her Korean side. This, coupled with all those gossips and microaggressions, is what finally leads Hara to join a DNA matching service with Bo Young's help. Now she has her father's name, her birth father, Lee Jong-hyun. With it, a note from him saying that he would at least like to meet her. So Hara goes off to Korea some time later to finally meet the family she's never known. 
Now, with most of the romances that we've read, we are usually introduced to the intended partner by now, either by an introduction or a point of view change. But it's not until chapter five, when our main man makes an appearance, as Hara tries to secure transportation at Incheon Airport to her rental apartment. He is beautiful. It's not a term I generally use for a man, but there's no better adjective. He's magazine beautiful. Photoshop beautiful. Beautiful in the way that if I uploaded a picture of him on Instagram, the post would go viral. It's possible I've conjured him much like a thirsty woman in the desert imagines an oasis, but in reality she's licking a sand dune. It's not a mirage, Hara. The tall drink of water before you is very real. I'm going to call this a meet-cute, since the reason Hara so willingly follows the sky like a sailor to a siren is because she thinks that he's the driver that Bo Young arranged for her. He introduces himself as Che Yujun and does not correct Hara until her actual driver chases them down. And it's a good thing that this is a romance and not a thriller, because Hara keeps going with Yujun at his insistence. He is all kindness and chivalry, and as Hara quickly figures out, completely loaded. Even the people she's staying with at the apartment notice that he's full of cash, and they only saw him by his car. Hara settles in, and basically passes out until the next morning, when Bo Young, having returned from America, greets her with devastating news. The man that Hara had flown halfway across the globe to see, her birth father, has died. Hara is able to navigate the unfamiliar Korean funeral traditions thanks to Boyoung, but now she has a new problem. In the aftermath of her birth father's death, she learns he was something of a scoundrel, and there are at least five possible women who could be her birth mother. Boyoung is sympathetic to Hara's plight, but strangely hesitant to help her find the woman who could be her birth mom. She's not unhelpful, but she's going about it in a way that makes it feel like she's trying to protect Hara from any potential emotional damage that she might find. It's strange, but an understandable position. I didn't think that there would be a whole lot of room for a romance among the family drama, but it's there. Hara goes out to a club one night where Yujun just happens to be with a friend of his, an apparently famous DJ, I think, I don't really recall. And let's be honest, he is not that important in the grand scheme of things. What he is good for, however, is helping Hara learn and navigate the ins and outs of Korean social hierarchy. There are politeness levels when it comes to talking to your peers. You use formal language with those older than you and informal with those younger. The way you drink soju is affected by the ages around the table. And Koreans don't always use names when they talk to the people that they're with. One particular term of note, and K-drama fans know where I am going with this, is the word oppa. It is literally translated as older brother if the speaker is female, but it has a certain connotation that cannot be ignored. I can see how calling a man who is not related an older brother is cringy. I'm glad that Jules warned me. Of course, this means that all his warmth that I took for flirtation is actually a gesture of friendship, which is disappointing, but I'll live... I mean, maybe I'll cry into my pillow tonight and erase all the mental scribbling where I put our names inside a heart, but I'll live. My flatmate told me I shouldn't use it, but you're telling me I should call everyone Oppa? No, he shakes his head firmly. Only me. The twinkle is back, and I don't think it is the strobe lights causing it. 
It's not often that a book will get me to tilt my head and say awe, but that did it. Hara later recounts the whole flirty tale to Boyoung as they meet up the next day to go over the photos that Hara acquired during her father's funeral. The photos are of the different women who could be her mother, and Boyoung is helpful with translating names written on the backs. Unfortunately, Boyoung accidentally spills a drink on them, and a few of the names are distorted before they can be translated. Yujin invites Hara on a date, and that's where we learn that they have more in common than they realize. Yujin's mother died when he was very young, so his father sent him to live in America with his aunt. That's why his English is so good. And we learn a little bit about his stepmother, who runs a massive company, the IF Group, and it focuses on helping disadvantaged individuals as its charity project. One cause that they particularly take into is adopted children, offering assistance in any way that they can. It catches my attention because Hara might be able to use her connection with Yujin to get some help. At the beginning of the novel, we know that Hara felt isolated from both her American upbringing and her Korean heritage. People in America denied her status as her parents' adopted child, and the people she's sharing the flat with in Korea deny her Korean heritage on account of having been raised in America. Yujin looks at her and says with his full chest, Hara is Korean. It does not matter what soil her seed was planted in, she is Korean, and nothing will change that fact. She does not need to be ashamed of her past, so long as she can embrace the future. And he hopes that, very much, her future is with him. But he isn't pushy. Probably my favorite thing about Eugene is that he doesn't try to smother Hara, and gives her the space that she clearly needs while she's figuring things out. He doesn't know her full story quite yet, but he knows that she's got a lot going on. His flirting is also pretty cute, but, you know, who's counting? When Hara does finally open up about what's going on, he offers his stepmother's help, and she accepts. But Hara's still going on her own mission, and she finally gets a lead from one of the other women that she's been trying to find. The woman is not her mother, but that woman is confident that she knows who is. Che Won Su, a woman who married into money and devotes herself to the cause for helping Korean adoptees. I think we can put two to two together at this point. I do want to make note that Hara circles around the last name thing, but I think this is more for the American audience as a part of our understanding. Hara rightly connects Che Wansun with Che Yujun, but this would not typically ring any alarm bells in a Korean context. Wives in Korea do not take their husband's family name. I know this because I made it very clear to my husband that I would not be changing my name for any reason, and he explained that it already wasn't a problem. Family names are also pretty repetitive in Korea, for lack of a better word. We could have a proper K-drama romance with two leads of the same family name, and I wouldn't bat an eye, because the chances of actual relation are slim to none. So when I read Chae Won Su, I had to put my American brain back on, just so it could ring the bells that it was supposed to ring. Hara explains what she's discovered to Boyoung and practically drags this poor woman with her to Wansu's company. And she's also hoping that Yujin isn't involved, but oops, there he is in the lobby. He innocently and helpfully offers to introduce her to his stepmom, and that's when it all comes out. If this wasn't bad enough, we hit full soap opera status when it's revealed that Che Wansu not only knew about her daughter's life, but that she has been sending money to Ellen and sent Boyoung to keep an eye on Hara. Boyoung's name is actually Kim Bomi, by the way. She has gone full undercover, and I wanted to let you know that by this point, I was screaming. 
Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, remember this is a romance. Hara and Yujun find themselves at hotel thanks to a hilarious episode where Hara loses her phone to the river. And we get sex! More descriptive than I was expecting for a novel like this, I wouldn't have been offended by a fade to black scenario, but happily we get more than that and it does not jar us out of the story. Plus, we get a condom mentioned, so it's an A plus for me. And this would not be a full-out K-drama without some last-minute high stakes. Not only does Hara's adoptive mother show up at the apartment, but word has gotten out to the Korean media that something is up with the IF Group CEO. Namely, the woman that has been championing Korean adoptees turns out to have given up her only daughter. An emergency board meeting is called to discuss the fate of Wansu and her newfound daughter. A lot happens fast at the end of the story, and I think it's appropriate for the insanity that follows Wansu's introduction. Hara already didn't have enough time left in Korea, barely five days, so everything had to get a move on pretty quick. And it leaves us with Hara on a plane back to America, leaving Yujun behind. It's the rare romance for us that does not end in a perfectly happy ending, but fear not, there is a sequel. This was certainly a roller coaster of a ride, that is for damn sure. There is so much I couldn't talk about in the span of this episode. I am trying to pare down my word count after all, but there was so much going on that my ADHD could not keep up, and it's not a bad thing. We all know it comes next though, so let's get into Heather's final score. Alright, the cover first as always, and I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. Simply put, the cover and the title did its job and got me to pick up the book and bring it home. I really love that papercraft style and enjoyed picking out the landmarks that I could match. Next up is drama, and that is getting a 5 out of 5. Before the big twist at the end, it was sitting at a comfortable 3. No shame in that. All of our drama was completely internal, and then we get some actual stakes when Wansu is revealed. We go from, I wonder who my mother is, to, my mother is apparently the head of a powerful table and the stepmother to the guy I like, and my presence is putting her position at risk really damn fast. This isn't to say that Hara's drama surrounding her identity isn't compelling, it is. I loved watching Hara grow and learn about herself during her adventure, my heart hurting for her and hoping for her the entire time. Romance is a little harder this time around. Namely because I wouldn't necessarily call this novel a romance. In the usual novels that we read, the A plot is the romance between the leads, and the B plot is whatever challenges and drama they are facing. Here it's switched. The family and identity drama is A, and romance is B. But there is a sweet chemistry between Hara and Yuchin, and I can't deny that they clearly have a strong bond by the end of the novel. But since their romance is not the focus, we don't really get to see their bond grow. Hara's relationship with Yujin is somewhat parallel to her relationship to Korea. As her journey into the land of the morning calm deepens, so does her love to Yujin. We've come across this problem before with Beauty and the Werewolf. It was a fine fantasy novel, but it wasn't a romance. I'll be neutral here and give our novel today a 3 out of 5. Spice is more straightforward, and I'll give that a 2 out of 5. There's not a lot of sex, but the sex we get is still sexy, so there it is. And finally, realism. I'm giving this a solid 4 out of 5. Obviously, the story comes from a place of reality, given that the author is herself a Korean adoptee living in the very homogenous white Midwest. 
Hara's story of self-discovery could very well be her own, and it's not unbelievable that such a person would go to Korea and find love while they were there. It's when Hara finds out that she's the daughter of a powerful CEO, that's when realism starts to go off the rails. But that's not bad. We love a good drama, and I won't complain. At the end of the day, Heart and Soul was a joy to read. I had a ton of fun connecting what I knew and have grown to love about Korea with what Hara experienced. Even if you aren't a Korean adoptee, there is something here for you. I'll definitely point new fans of K-pop and K-drama towards this book as a sort of crash course for Korean culture. It is a deeply personal journey that I was privileged to be a part of. Having said that, this novel would have been the sort of thing that I read for behind the page, because I don't feel that it's fully a romance. I suspect that marketing trends latched onto the rising Hallyu wave and decided that this novel was better off in the romance section instead of contemporary fiction. However, there is enough romance that it fared far better than the previously mentioned Beauty and the Werewolf. For my final score, Heart and Soul gets four table boyfriends out of five. Thank you for joining me, readers and romance seekers, and I hope to see you once again for Hopelessly Romantic. If you like the show, please visit us at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to recommend a read, please email us at contact at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. The show is written and produced by me, Heather Songster. Our technical advisor is Kwang Hoon Cho. Hopelessly Romantic is an H with K production. And it doesn't matter what you read, only that is what you love.